0: of the mystical American Patriot Society is transmitting to you from a high desert encampment on the frontier of our agrarian hoplite
1: Republic
0: this is a variety program for happy warriors who are getting some seriously bad vibes from the deranged post-Christian technocracy grab a tankard of yak's milk and join us by the campfire as Sumo and Cavi return to shake your surveillance, expel your parasites, and generally have a good time. Are you ready? Stand by.
2: Cavi.
1: hello
2: long time no speak a little bit Yep I hope that our listeners have feel Sufficiently punished in this absence. if you Don't start giving money I'm going to Punish you more again listeners do you Think that they've been punished Sufficiently or do they for need now. more Punishment for now I yeah if I could Reach through the, the 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 audio app and Slap them I would because they have the Worst group of listeners that I've ever I think, of any podcast. The absolute worst. Now, except for the, the some people, and you know who you are. They're the good people. Everyone else, really, is... Everyone else is like a fentanyl addict who just happens to listen to this show for some reason while they're ODing in the bathtub. That's all I can figure. Everyone else is completely worthless. And we have, you know, 20 to 30... Decent people that listen And I don't know what the rest of you are doing But this was your wake up call We've been on, on absence And I hope um, That you Felt sufficiently chided And punished for your bad behavior And that you will stop now And that you will donate to the Patreon or the Road, Or to the Or share it with your friends so So that the listenership Goes up <clears throat> it's a new thing we're trying you know it's not really a new thing i've been doing it. maybe it's the problem i don't think a lot of i don't think a lot of entertainment uh they traditionally encourage you to market it by insulting your fan base do you think that doesn't it's seem
1: it's a bold strategy Cotton.
2: it's a bold strategy you but i'd be on the cutting
1: edge of like a new marketing paradigm
2: yeah that's right we are pioneering new marketing techniques and one of them is That you people suck. and But you know that's the thing. It's the thing. You don't get to choose your audience. That's what I. I, The musicians taught me that before. You know. (coughs) Green Day. The band. They didn't want to be liked by emo people. That wasn't what they were going for. They wanted to be rock and roll people. And they'll tell you this. They wanted to be a rock and roll band and have like hot chicks show up at their concerts and instead they got emo people in black makeup but that's who came right? You don't get to pick your audience and um you can and you can choose to lean into it or not That's the thing that's the choice you get like Mumford and Sons similarly uh they. Didn't they? Although they were sort of near that sphere, they didn't really want uh, their concerts to be populated by mostly lesbians in tweed jackets. But that's who came, and so they decided to lean into it, and to also wear tweed jackets, and to play the piano barefoot, and to jump around, and 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 act uh, like an autistic child who's forgotten his medication during their shows and because that's who their fan base was autistic grown-ups gotten their medication and had become lesbians and so you can lean into it or you can you cannot and i think what we have to do as a show is lean into the fact that our listeners are the dregs of society and horrible people who who probably no one else wants but we will take you That's, we'll thank you. We will accept you. But you have to support the show. You have to just try. It's not that hard. Just go support the show. It's not that difficult. You've had plenty of opportunities. And you know who I'm talking to right now specifically? Can you guess one person I'm talking to specifically right now, Cavi?
1: Is it one of uh, your friends who's been on before?
2: No, no. Well, yes, yes, yes. Godward.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. That was going to be my second guess.
2: And I know. I know that he uh I know that he lost his job because they called him uh, a neo-nazi because he questioned something about circumcision. i I get that he all he did really was say is circumcision the thing that we need to be doing and they attacked him and I know that he since hasn't been able to find another one and that his uh his financials. Situation because of that he doesn't feel like he should Give money Um And maybe this is too personal and I'm Sorry but it is what it is But still he He Should find it within his heart To do it My Angelica That lady on EWTN The pirate nun Who lost her eye and spent the last 10 years of her show looking like a pirate on TV talking about Jesus. Every sentence sort of sounded you like just said TV.
1: got more crazy than like the last little bit.
2: Well, every little bit got
1: crazier and crazier. Now I'm confused. Look, look,
2: she was a pirate. She 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 would get up there and she'd say, she, she, had, she, she may have smoked. I don't know. But she sort of sounded gravelly. And she was a small woman. And when they depicted, um, when they depicted Jesus as a woman on a Broadway play, she took umbrage of that with her eye patch, and she got on her show and she looked at the camera and she said, "How dare you? You would depict ya like that." And I've been to her place where she used to run her big convent, and I've seen her buried in the drawer, right, because they put the bodies in a drawer in the wall. They put the nuns that, and I've seen her 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 drawer there with her eye patch, <clears throat> where the with the creepy the creepy priest that walks around, who gives off sexual predator vibes, but is probably not. He's probably just when I talked with him, I realized he was probably just severely, sort of autistic and not a sexual predator. But he gives off those vibes from a distance, and so when I went i saw her in the drawer i thought to myself of her pirate eye patch and how she used to say in her pirate voice uh to the american public fit me in between the gas and the electric the electric she wouldn't pronounce the e she'd say the electric because that's how much money she wanted you to donate however much your, your gas bill was and your electric bill somewhere in the middle donate that much money and she built a little empire off of that a little media empire she built uh she built a giant cathedral thing in the middle of nowhere. And she bought herself a drawer to put her body in. And all we're asking for is a similar drawer. That when me and Cavi are dead, and this we have finally been killed by the Jesuits or the Illuminati, or maybe the Jews, who knows? Because uh because Benjamin Netanyahu didn't like something we said about Palestine. Even though I def- I defend the Jews all the time, but you know Benjamin Netanyahu is a crazy man, and he does it, he doesn't really represent the Jews in Israel. I mean, he does formally because he's the pres the, the prime minister, or, or you know, but like a lot of them don't want him, and and so and he's a crazy. Whoever kills us is what I'm saying. Whoever kills us, Mossad maybe, Putin. Who knows, CIA? When we die for this cause, we need a drawer. Is that so much to ask? To be able to finance a drawer for our bodies to go into. To pull it out of the wall, lay our bodies in it, and shove it back in. Uh, in a little crypt underground. And we can't even afford that. Because of our listeners are these trash humans. Who uh, I guess are drug addicts or whatever they're doing. <clears throat> I don't know. I try I I think we could I think we kept some of you guys from storming the Capitol, and otherwise you'd be in jail right now, right? And in and in exchange for that, I think you can buy a drawer for our bodies to go in after uh we're killed, we're given, you know, uh polonium by by Vladimir Putin's spies, and we die a slow death in the hospital. Right? Do you think that's fair? I think that's pretty fair. Sounds fair. I don't think I don't I don't think I'm asking I mean am I asking for too much? I don't think so. What would you ask for? How would you put it to the people?
1: Uh probably not what you did because I felt like I was having a stroke when you were talking about eyepatch lady.
2: <clears throat> well she that's just what it is. She was that's who she was. She was an eye patch pirate nun. And there needs to be more of those, honestly. That'd <laughs> you know yeah, be more fun. She had some fire to her. I'll tell you that. Mother Angelica had some fire to her. And she would, she would, she would, oh, if she were alive today. The things that woman would say about Pope Francis. The things that woman would say about the state of our world today, if she was alive today. She would make, she would make the most insane, racist, uh, uh, anonymous uh, user online look like a kitty cat. The things she would say behind her eye patch and she would snarl at the camera. And then she'd say, God loves you after it. And she'd ask for your money. And that's all I'm trying to do, you know? And <clears throat> so anyway, we're back. But don't take it for granted is what is the message? Because if we can't have a drawer to die in, then what is this all for? Huh? I, I, that's that is my question.
1: It's A very good question.
2: Today, today we have an interview with Jorge Mesa of uh, Third Eye Edify podcast. Did you enjoy the interview? Did you did you feel it was good? Was it Edify? Yeah, your third yeah, eye.
1: No, it was it was good. I definitely think the whole uh, English is a spellcasting language thing is interesting, and it's almost as if, like you're touching on it, it's almost as if the language was sort of imposed after some sort of reset.
2: It is almost like that, isn't it? And me and Jorge had a great conversation about this, which I think you're going to stick around. You're going to want to stick around and listen to. Uh, but before that, I want to speak a little bit about uh, how to hide an empire, how to hide an empire? Because I think it dovetails nicely with Jorge's book, his idea of World War U. World War U and how to hide an empire. Right? Is everyone right? Have you heard of How to Hide an Empire, the book by Daniel Emerwar? Nope. Okay. Well, good. Did, okay, if I were to ask you, listeners and Kavi, uh, if I were to ask you, is is the USA uh, an empire. What do you think most people would say?
1: Would I would say yes.
2: You would say yes, but you're you you know things. Do you think the average man on the street would say so?
1: I don't know. I knew it was kind of like an empire back when I was in high school. Even I think I even wrote an essay about that.
2: <laughs> Interesting. So maybe in maybe in other lands. Yeah, maybe. Uh, this is the perception is different. Yeah. Because the the thrust of this book is how the United States. Uh, made one of the world's largest empires in human history. A- a- and both formally and informally, like, places that are, that are, that ha- were, or have been, or still are, under direct American rule, territories, states, uh, other such things, and places which we just sort of de facto rule anyway, like modern-day Germany. Um. And yet, the American education system, having gone through it myself, the American media, the American news, the American conversation, never really touches on this idea. And this was this was encapsulated in a in a in a, in a little story from this book, "How to Hide an Empire," when the U.S. went to liberate, uh, quote unquote, the Philippines from the Japanese. Are you aware this happened during they World agree. War II? Yes, very. I think most people in America don't even know that we fought in the Philippines, much less know that the U.S. used to own the Philippines. Yes, Lister, the United States of America used to control the entirety of the Philippines, along with lots of other things in those in those uh, the the Bikini Atolls, the Swan Islands, Guam, Hawaii. Excuse me, um, the Sapien Islands. The U.S. I mean, so many of the islands and the, the Philippines and parts of Asia, and we took them from the Spanish during the Spanish American War, and then, uh, and then after that, we just kept going because not all of those were owned by the Spanish. We just took some more stuff, and so what happened? The Japanese. Okay, what happened on December seventh? A day that will live in infamy. Do you know? Do they teach this in Canada?
1: Which year? And probably not.
2: Uh, I don't remember. Nineteen. You know, the day that will live in infamy.
1: No, not Pearl any bells. Oh, okay. Pearl yeah. Harbor. I know of that.
2: <clears throat> so Pearl Harbor was attacked. Uh, you know, allegedly, quote unquote. I think that there there was foreknowledge of that, and they let it happen to produce the causes, belly to, to to do the war, but it didn't matter. Pearl Harbor. That is sort of a retcon. Because Pearl Harbor was attacked, yes. Uh, But people, I don't think most people are aware that on the same day, the same 24-hour period, Pearl Harbor was attacked in Hawaii. Uh, Our bases in Guam were attacked. Our bases in the Philippines were attacked. Japan invaded the Philippines, occupied it, uh, kicked out the U.S. military forces that were there, and set up a junta government, right? So much happened. They attacked so many places that day. It was a full-scale invasion of, of the U.S. holdings in the Pacific Ocean, which most people weren't aware of. And the crazy thing that happened, the crazy thing that happened, which 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 dovetails nicely with, with the way things are going today, is that america mostly didn't care that's the great that's the that's the great american ethos is that we can it's mostly not care because although they were us they weren't citizens because they couldn't vote but they were us nationals like everyone at this time in the philippines and uh, all these other islands were us nationals as many of them still are today uh, the president was their president they used the us dollar the whole the whole nine yards except for they were in a state, right? Everything else. Um, and they were invaded and shot and and in many cases uh, enslaved and put into forced labor. The the US response was one to not mention it. In the early newspapers of the first couple of days, they did say, Oh, yeah, the, the Japan attacked Hawaii and the Philippines. But when FDR got out there, he and he gave his speech he said uh, he only mentions Pearl Harbor in Hawaii because Hawaii felt at the time like it was almost America. Now, it's def- I mean, it still feels a little like a foreign country because it kind of is, that we just have and made a state. But back then in the 40s, it really didn't feel like it was, all of these felt like just people weren't even aware that we had them. And so no one was really willing to go fight a war over him, but maybe okay, Hawaii, maybe. But the 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 but the crazy thing of that is that though that was the justification for starting the war, they immediately ignored all of it. They said, "Well, hey, that's some that's some brown people. Who cares? What we need to do? Yes, the U.S. nationals are being killed and enslaved." and everything. We'll deal with that in a minute. They had a de facto Europe first policy. S- defenders of this will say it was because uh that was the most strategically that Hitler needed to be knocked out first before they worried about Japan. And maybe um but it was questionable even back then as 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 one of the ministers from England Wrote to the State Department here in the USA. They said we are we are we enjoy the fact that you are saying that you're going to focus on us and send most of your military here first. That's great. We really like it. However, we are just questioning whether you realize what this will mean for the uh, Philippines and all of your people that you allegedly are. You're like under your protection. That you're just going to ignore them. And the answer from the State Department. What do you guess it was? What do you guess the the sentence was that they sent back in response? Take a guess.
1: Oh, I have no idea.
2: Just Just imagine, put yourself in the... They said, in response to this question, like, are you going to come help us at the expense of all of your holdings in the Pacific? The State Department sent back a letter that said, just one sentence, it said, sometimes men have to die. That's what they said. And that can seem a little callous. Um, because again, the, no, so the number, of the, we're not talking small numbers here. That's the thing. People, people think it's a few people, all of these holdings in these specific territories at the time, it's still a lot. Now people don't really realize that it's still a good many. Now at the time it was the same, it was one eighth, the population of the mainland United States. So, so if you take the, the lower forty eight. One in eight people, that was what lived over there. It was a lot of people. Millions of people.
1: Yeah, that's more wasn't than I was expected. Thing.
2: Yeah, it wasn't a small thing at all. And they are being shot. They're being invaded. Our bases are being... And we're like, well, yeah, but, but... Europe first. And we do that. We go, we do a little bit of, like, defense in the Pacific. And then we fight in Europe. And then when we think we've got that sort of nailed down, okay, then we go... And the Russians are coming in to finish off the Germans. Great. Okay, let's go over to the Pacific now. And so it was two years after the Philippines were invaded that the U.S. finally gets around to coming to help them. Um, And unlike what we had done, which was to not build any fortifications at all, the Japanese have spent these two years fortifying the island and their position. And they're very difficult to remove uh, via conventional means. We sent people in. First, we sent in soldiers, uh, American GIs, to to take them out. Huh. And um, it was working, but it was very bloody. The casualty rate was very high because it was urban warfare. They were going into these jungles. I mean, it's it a mix of jungle and urban warfare, like cities in the jungle. It was very messy. Cover everywhere people are hiding behind every branch and tree and office building Just a mess And so What was decided Was that and, and one of the generals at the time He made this statement he said "Um, I would I would not sacrifice one American Life over a Building which you know Sounds good uh, and so It was decided that before we went into These places we would just Shell anything they might be hiding in until there wasn't a thing to hide in anymore. And that worked. It did work. It was great strategy from that perspective. and uh, it was it was we just blew up anything a Japanese person could be in, and it went away, and then we went in. The thing is, though, that much like, and I bring this up for many reasons, one of which is because it does tell so nicely to what's happened today. and I'm going to defend Israel here some. Because much of what they were not saying was that inside these buildings were also Filipinos who were again u s nationals. They were technically our people, right? We had we. Had. And so when they said no u s life they they meant like, "Ah, uh, you know, but not the philip yeah, technically, but you know, it was just sort of like, eh. and so these buildings that that they had fortified were indeed. Uh fortifications like pillbox bunkers, which were, you know, you can get those, no problem. But there were also things like hospitals and refugee camps and uh and schools and uh residential areas. Uh and we just blew them up with everyone inside: sick people, children, uh, women, the elderly, non-combatants, just exploded them to smithereens and the number of US nationals that die in this campaign is twice the number of US people on both sides north and south that died in the civil war and you never hear about it cuz no one cares. It was without a doubt by that metric the most bloody campaign in US history. If you count the Filipinos as as Americans as US and they technically were on paper um if you count them as that it was by far the most bloody the most Americans die in that engagement than anything else that we've ever done. And you never have ever heard about it, and no one cares, and they still don't care. Um, so much so that this little story is in the book, where this this uh, Filipino person who's taken the English name Oscar, uh, he is talking with an American soldier who's arrived there and has begun the process of liberating the island, and his. The Japanese have been driven back from this area and Oscar's happy to see them. You know, it's like, great, uh, you know, hooray. And the GI person is surprised. He says, oh, you speak really great English. Where did you learn it? And the Oscar says, well, I mean, when you guys colonized us, you set up schools that taught in English primarily. And, you know, I was born after the colonization happened. And so I've grown up here speaking English. And that's why I speak English. And the GI responded, we colonized you. Which is correct. That is how the Americans are. I know this because I'm one of them. I've been here. Americans are totally out to lunch about what their country does. No idea at all. They had this entire, they had the entirety of the Philippines. Didn't even know it. And this guy signs up for the war and he goes, doesn't even know why he's going. Doesn't even know why we have an interest in the Philippines. No idea. Just goes and they said, go shoot people. And he's like, yeah. Yeehaw. And that is the American mindset. And I think that has tremendous advantages in many ways. My point in that, in saying this, is that the U.S. has been for a long time an empire, but one which does not present itself to itself as such. Which is why there's so much consternation and confusion politically because like mega people trump people anti-immigration people largely i feel people in the midwest people in the south and in, in in all sorts of places largely have this feeling of like america is small town america and small town america exists and it's nice but they think that's what america is and they really sort of f- and this whole other side of america of like really owning, if you took the land that the US had control of, there were territories and the lower 48, right? Because it's got Alaska at this time, it's got Hawaii, Alaska and Hawaii aren't states yet. Uh, it's got the Philippines, it's got it's got Guam, it's got all these little islands. If you take all of these things um and you compare them in square miles to the USA, it's basically the same. We had a whole nother lower 48 of area we can we controlled. Which is insane. Uh, and they really didn't even know that they had it, which is amazing. the, the America if there's two things Americans the, yes, America has invented the modern world in many ways, and I know people will calm and be like, oh, we invented this this combustion engine over here. yeah, we perfected it. The USA invented basically everything, and you all know it. flight space travel to the extent that that's real, which is questionable um submarines, e- e- everything, right all the computers everything well but but of all that, the two things that we that it was really been our greatest gifts to society have been the laugh track, which is a philosophical wonder where we learned that we can make machines feel emotions on your behalf. They can laugh for you and you will still feel better. Brilliant. And number two is our ability to be, is to control the world and not know it. It's just amazing technology. Britain never figured this out. Britain had an empire and they were very explicit about it. And they had like Empire Day, it was a holiday. And the kids in England would dress up as various cultures that the British Empire owned. And they'd go to school in a turban, and be like, oh, look at me. America can conquer the world and not even realize it and that is something truly special just like we can very recently within my own lifetime ethnically cleanse the middle east of christians and have no idea that that happens we can we can literally decimate iraq one in 10 people dead like the population reduces by 10 10% and have no no recollection it's It is a superpower that has never been invented because it allows us to do everything and anything without feeling an ounce of guilt or needing to justify it or needing to think about whether it was a good idea and if we should do it again. We can go to Afghanistan for 21 years, leave and never speak of it again. Pretend it never happened. And when all these terrorist groups rise up, we can just pretend they came out of nowhere and just exploded out of the ether. Sui generis from the slime instead of the end result of many decades of us bombing them, killing their brothers and, and, and wives and children, uh, and also funding them and literally giving them weapons. We can just pretend it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And so when people criticize Israel, as I have done also for their handling of Gaza, you have to realize that the U S you're in a, you're in a glass house. And that in many ways, the U S has been far worse. And, and indeed Israel could not do what it's doing. If you agree with it or not, without the U.S.'s uh, support. And people think that the Jews control America, but it's the exact opposite. And America controls Israel and the Israel is America's proxy for killing people in the Middle East. Because we've inv- that's another technology we've invented which is to make other people kill people for your behalf without ever having to really get your hands dirty. It's pretty amazing. We can make the Ukrainians fight the Russians for us and make the Europeans give the Ukrainians all of their military equipment while we don't do anything except blow up their pipeline so that they can't have gas. It's pretty incredible. And the the, the 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 level of of, politi- of of not knowing what we're doing is almost indescribable to an outsider. And the thing about it is, I, I realized reviewing this book and thinking about this book that America is has this dual mindset where like well, it has not a dual mindset. It has one mindset and another mind that is not existent. Where it, it proclaims universality and diversity and plurality, and we respect all people and cultures. But but there's so many evidences that if push came to shove, we would treat the brown people the same way today. One being that people still identify with Europe and canada over anywhere else mexico is our largest trading partner we have the most back and forth with mexico people come and go from mexico all the time and yet whenever people talk about leaving the country because of trump they talk about going to canada even though mexico is nice except for you know the parts with the people with the chainsaws that cut your head off for drugs the other parts are good and you know like baja california is a, is a paradise uh and you can live really good on Mexico for really cheap. And there's no reason if you are one of these people that's on Twitter and has a has a remote work job, <laughs> you could go to Mexico and live a great life with your American dollars in exchange for pesos, tremendous life. But and the thing that's the problem is they're so dishonest. It would be it would be so much the, the hypocrisy created by this uh, dishonesty. Because although they say with their mouths one thing in their hearts, they're still tribal and they connect with white people more. And so when there was a World war war 2 although yes all these people we technically love them and care about them but ah, that's the people that are not actually our citizens and our nationals we're going to fight for them first cuz they're 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 like us. Same thing would happen again. And the, and the proof of that is that today The only people held to a quote-unquote American standards, by and large, are American white people. Because we feel like everyone else isn't really American. That's the truth of it. That is the the subconscious truth of it. That's why they don't get held to standards of, like, PC speech. Because what that is, is like, hey, this is how we Americans act to keep all the other people in our sphere. And to keep them dependent on us. We give them lip service. Right. And we tell them all these great things and we let that, you know, like, Hey, yeah, you can do that. But at the heart of it, there's still this like America, like that is, it's so backhanded and it's so deceptive and it creates so much hypocrisy. Racism will save the world. It really would. If people were more outwardly explicit about how they felt and we're like, Hey, I identify more with Europeans than I do with the, with the uh, Filipinos in my own country, because a lot of people do feel that way. Not necessarily me, not necessarily you, but a lot of people do. A lot of people that are on the left do perhaps the majority of them, because although they talk about diversity all the time, they never date the people that aren't white. I've seen this for years. And so.
1: Unless they're a white supremacist.
2: Right. And so the, the, It creates this expectation. The worst thing you can do is to tell people you love them when you don't. To tell people you care about them when you don't. And so it creates this expectation that when push comes to shove, America's going to be there for you. Brown country. Asian country. People, U.S. citizens that are not. But when push comes to shove, we will not be. You know? America won't be. And it will be so much better for everyone. If they just explicitly said that. Is that not more merciful? Is that not more compassionate? Is that not more honest? Is it not more helpful? Because the Filipinos in World War II sent a letter. They said, how can you ignore your own daughter to go help a a cousin? Good question. And we said, hey. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That was the that was a hey. What do, you, I, what do you want? And this, that attitude still persists. And as much as people deny it over and over again and wish it wasn't there, they they show it with their choices all the time. And a lot of this push for like rooting out systemic racism is this desire to to actually feel inside what you say with your mouth. But people can't do it. They can't pull it off because it's not being honest. And it would be better if they were racist because then these people wouldn't have these expectations of America that America is not going to fulfill. America wasn't there for Ukraine, was it? It was for a while. And then it got a new best friend. It had a new best war. And then it was like, yeah, I know we said however long it takes and however much. But, you know, maybe it's time. I got a new I got a new friend. I got a new war got Israel-Palestine. And that's my new best friend. And I still like you, but hey, you know, the worst thing you can do is trust the United States. And Israel will find that out too. That's why I, I say this, if any Jews are listening, please, for your own safety, for the safety of your landed people, do not rely on the United States. Even if it were true, which it isn't, that you control the United States through Illuminati channels. I mean, there's a little bit of Mossad blackmail. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, Americans are, are so dumb and stupid that they, it's like trying to control a massive bull by a harness. You may lead it around for a minute, even if it were, this is a hypothetical, it's not, it's not, it wouldn't work. America can kill the whole world and not even realize it happened. It's truly amazing. They could colonize the entire world and not even know. Right. And we've done it in this new technology. Like back then, we would colonize them formally and just never talk about it. Now we, like with NATO, it's like, well, you're all of our satraps, at, at, but, but we're on paper, you're a sovereign country. But boy, if you step out of line. If you step out of line, you're going to find out how much that paper's worth, you know. And, and you saw this very clearly when, but in both cases, both our old best friend of Ukraine and our new best friend of Israel, where, when uh, the the speaker of the the speaker was up there talking about Ukraine, or the White House press correspondent, rather, and they said, uh, you know, has this, has a this ceasefire been thought of? And the speaker, without any hesitation, I think he just forgot for a minute to put up the show, said, we've been in talks with Russia about a ceasefire with Ukraine or something to that effect. As if the stance is, the, the assumption is, it's ultimately down to the United States and it is. Ukraine doesn't really have a say. Zelensky is a puppet dictator, is a puppet president that we put in there. The U.S. put in there. Ukraine isn't sovereign. The U.S. is sovereign and just lets you, the Ukraine pretend just like it lets the states pretend, it lets the fifty states pretend they can do something. They can't. They don't really have the authority. It's and 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 just the other day, the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton. On she was on some talk show, and she was talking about how when Bill was president, he offered the Palestinians a two state solution, but they rejected it. But notice, and 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 it was framed as like, well, you know, the Palestinians don't really want peace because she was like on the side of Israel here and uh but okay maybe that's true maybe they don't want peace i don't know but the assumption there was like it was the us's uh, the us's choice to grant such a thing right it's like well it's i know on on the map it looks like that's israel and palestine but really we're the ones that can offer you a state here right that comes from us not from old netanyahu it comes from the wall white house pennsylvania avenue And America doesn't even realize it has this power. That's the, that's the, that America, I don't even think the people saying these words realize what they imply. I don't think Hillary Clinton, when she says this, is aware that implies that Israel and Palestine don't have sovereignty and only the U.S. does. And it could grant the borders if it wanted to, which it could. I don't even think she realizes that. And the American people certainly don't. They still run around as if all these people are making their own. decisions. It, it's 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 wild. We have an empire that is, exists and is hidden. We don't even realize it. It's not even it's not even talked. About. It's it's a pretty insane thing. Now I think as you as you pointed out, people from the outside perceive it very clearly. The U.S. is throwing its weight around and dictating what everyone does. <clears throat> More sufficiently and with greater authority than any of the Roman Empire ever did. But inside the USA, people think that we are we are just one of the one of the people, little old USA. We know we have a big military, but hey, but we think that everyone else is like a peer, and like Germany can really do something if they didn't want to, if we didn't want them to, and like you know with this small town USA mindset and it creates such chaos politically because we're arguing over things that is not even it's not even consciously acknowledged it's all this everything about it is is a fakery and you have to and, and this concept that's been floating around of turbo America like America's people talk about America's on the decline and in some ways that's true but in other ways America is 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 never been more powerful Uh, And it's only going up. And one of the ways you have to realize that is that not only is the USA the dominant military power, economic power, and cultural power. I mean, goodness me. The other day, Xi Jinping was photographed getting KFC. That's like, if this was a Sid Meier's video game, that would be a cultural victory. To to put KFC in the mouth of the Chinese president. Right? That is the cultural... uh, we win. <clears throat> not to mention, we make all the movies, uh, pretty much all the media, pretty much all the everything. The internet is owned by us. It's like the world. Uh, it's it's the USA all the way. On top of all that, for all the consternation that conservatives have about America doesn't produce anything, it's not true. America doesn't produce consumer goods. That is true. America produces almost all of the high tech stuff everywhere. For example, uh, almost all of the fuel. Yes, we do get oil from other places. We steal it. But we refine it here and make it into gasoline and, and kerosene and all the other kinds of fuel. And America is the best at that. And almost every other country in the world that has any power at all depends on the USA to give them fuel. That's another leverage point. Another huge one most people don't realize is that Almost every country in the world that is of any uh, stance uses the USA as its breadbasket. They grow some of their own food, sure, but not all of it. In fact, Japan gets about forty percent of its rice from from Arkansas. That's how that's how much sway the USA, like your Japan, can't feed its own people rice without Arkansas. The USA has a, has 70 loaded guns at everyone's head and doesn't even know it has its finger on the tr- trigger. It has its military, its economy, its banking system, it, the, the fact that everything's traded in US dollars. It has the fuel. It has the bread. It has the food. It has the waterways. It has everything. imaginable. It has the internet. And it doesn't even realize it. That is the craziest thing. Te- it's how to hide an empire. I don't know how it's done. It is a giant magic trick. And you have to stand back and just be a little in awe of it that this thing has been pulled off, where the USA has such power and still sees itself as this small little thing. This, this like, hey, we just need to be, go to the baseball game, eat the apple pie, church on Sunday. All those things are great. But also, uh we we already are what 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 bat wanted in the bronze age mindset the usa is just a rampaging set of warriors that go around the world shooting people all the time for very dubious reasons and there's only been 16 years total in the usa's existence that we haven't been in some kind of war and all of those war- all those years people were sad Because it's what we do. And you have to embrace it a little bit. You just have to say, look, I know we're currently facilitating a bit of a genocide by some accounts. and And I know it's hypocritical. It is. It drives me crazy to hear people that like five months ago were like, hey, racism is the worst thing ever to get up there in front of the US Senate as a congressman and say, hey, there's, really no difference between a Palestinian and Hamas just by virtue of their race. They're a terrorist. They said those things (laughs) and and it's, it's so crazy. And to argue like, Hey, look, you cut off a little bit of water. You cut off a little bit of food. Who's who's Hey, what are you going to do? Those same people like that level of cognitive dissonance and hypocrisy and lying is, is, is aggravating um but that you just as an as a us as as an Ameri- you just have to accept that's what the us is the us uh that's what we do we go around the world kill people for really s- small amounts of reason or 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 any at all and and we we integrate them into this giant empire while still sort of not really feeling that they're part of us and um, and then we forget about it and do it again and then forget and do it again and then do it again. And we never have any an ounce of introspection or an ounce of thought or an ounce of, hey, was this a good idea? That will never occur to anyone's mind. Everyone that blew up Iraq and bin Laden wasn't even there. The whole reason was to get bin Laden. The entire thing was Bin Laden wasn't in Afghanistan and he wasn't in Iraq. Didn't matter. No one thought about that twice. And after they got him, they still it didn't matter, right? We just go and that's what America does. It's just a giant, it's a giant killing machine that, that also makes pretty great pizza. And you have to learn to enjoy, you have to learn to enjoy the pizza. Is what I'm trying to say, because you're not going to stop the giant hypocritical death colonization machine. Wish you could, but you can't. And so you got to it's just you got to lean into it a bit. Like I said with our listeners, you know, you don't get to choose your country, really. <laughs> you just got to lean into what it is. And so America is that's just what, what it is. You know, they will colonize a place. Leave it undefended for two years while the people get slaughtered and enslaved. Come blow it all up. Talk to the kid that learned English because we forced them to and not even realized that they were a colony. That's the amazing thing. And there is something sort of beautiful about that. That level of like just, hey, however bad it gets, however bad it gets, TJF on Fridays is fun to watch. And, you know, it, the mass Singer is on. And it's good. And he doesn't. And, you know, and then we can go and blow up people at a wedding with a drone. And and but still. But still, but still the Super Bowl is coming on and that'll be fun and we can have a tailgate. And that that Ameri- that's just what it is. And you have to. And so you can't really get mad at Israel. You can't really get you can't really get mad at anybody as an American. Your country has done worse. And and the reasons and, and yes, I do think what really bothers me about the Israel thing is how they keep portraying themselves as a victim while they're doing like I get that you don't want to go into the urban warfare and you just need to blow it up. Like there's no argument for that. Right? Like, I don't think you're uniquely evil. Any more than I think the average American is uniquely evil. But you just have to, as an American, you just have to like lean in. You just, you just got to accept it and learn to enjoy the pizza. Learn to enjoy all of the great bounties of this land. But also know what it is. You'll be one of the only people that knows what it is. And no one else that that hears you will ever really, if you can tell them this, and they will not accept it. They'll just blink out. Let's say hey, he's a bit weird. They'll go to the cheese platter at the party, they'll eat some cheese, and they'll go back and talk about The Bachelor. And that's, and then, and then their brother or their husband will go off to war and he'll come back, and then no one will ever think about why. And that is that's just what it is. It's how to hide an empire. And I think um Jorge's work with World War U. A little bit about how you can distance yourself from that if you want to, how you can disengage from that, which is which is all you can really hope for. The, the whole the whole idea of changing the system is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, I wish it could happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, this 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 thing will fall apart one day, like the Roman Empire eventually did. But it may be a thousand years. Who knows? Uh, so you just got to enjoy the ride. Uh, and insulate yourself from the worst psychic aspects of it, while you can. And so, I hope this interview with uh, with Jorge helps you do that. And I hope that you give money uh, because we need a drawer to die in. Please enjoy this interview. Hello, everybody. We are we are back. It's been a while since we did a show because. I've been punishing the listeners for their low engagement and their um, low donations. I don't know if you've ever do that with your show, uh, Jorge. It's uh, where you, the listeners are on and you just attack them. I don't think I'm on, I'm
0: not deep enough in the trenches of gifting yet, but I have a dedicated fan base of people that love what's happening. And uh, I wish we had that. It's coming. I wish we had that.
2: We have like, (laughs) We have a we have a fair weather fandom that just does it. They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we love it. We love it." No, we're not going to support anything, but yep. hey, we love but, you. But you're great. Yeah, yeah I, I wish, know and uh, it's it's, oh, it's an important part, I guess. My kingdom for a dedicated fandom. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish we had one. We don't. I've been, so we've been punishing them by not giving them episodes. But now we're back. Hello. Excellent. And we're back Excellent. with uh, Jorge Mesa or um uh, uh, what did you say it was uh, something tables your nickname? Oh, inside table, yes. The inside table because you are the Mesa table, right? Right. It's table. Um any any spiritual relation to the mesas of the American West?
0: No, as a matter of fact, neither of my parents were born here. My mm-hmm. dad's from Colombia, my mom's from Greece. They met in Queens, New York, of course. Where else would that happen? Right. And then, uh, so the the inside table is just what it means in both of those languages, Greek and mm-hmm. Colombian. I learned Greek, not, not Spanish yet. I'll get there.
2: Oh, so you do know Greek? <laughs> yeah. My, um, I, my foreign languages are very poor. I try, and then my Duolingo owl gets sad. Right. And he, oh, he looks yeah. to me he starts melting on the screen is from that what that use. is yeah <laughs> I just noticed that the other day so I never i never I don't know I don't feel like it works unless you can uh really get in there on a on a regular basis like I need to be immersed in the language and unfortunately everywhere you go is just everyone speaking English oh, of course so, of course so it doesn't I never get a chance you know to to actually be immersed. I've been trying to learn sign language, and uh, the problem with that is there are not, there just aren't that many deaf people, and they all live in the same place.
0: You don't get the practice, yeah. And there's, you know, even I braille, mean, I'm, I'm, I am very happy for people that get to use braille, but I find that they're in very inconvenient locations for people that p- are potentially blind. So I'm not sure how often. Yeah, they get
2: used. <laughs> I don't think I think braille is a meme. I don't think anyone. I've never seen anyone use braille in real life.
0: I wonder what it's a leftover from. It's actually something I haven't looked into. So I'm curious. Yeah. Now. I mean, uh, suddenly we have audiobooks now, now.
2: So why bother? <laughs> exactly. You don't need to read, right? I mean, no, you're right. it seems you're right. great. <laughs> but anyway, hello, everyone. Uh, we're with uh, Jorge Misa from. Uh, you wrote a recent book called World War You. Yes. Which we wanted to talk about. I thought that's a fascinating name, World War You. Um, and you also have a podcast, well, a podcast website. I don't know if you classified as a website first or a podcast first, but Third Eye Edify, which is um, your show, which is very interesting, and we have a lot of overlap, I think, between uh, your listeners and ours. Except that your listeners are are more generous and kind, and ours <laughs> in spirit. In spirit, indeed. In spirit. Um, so, Tanny uh, Tanny really wanted us to go over. She she was she said a lot of our listeners were really interested in your book and chatting about your book. Oh, what cool. were you and i wanted to, I, I thought the um the cover was very interesting first of all um and i wanted to know sort of like what's going on with all that i'm trying to pull up i had a picture of it and now i've lost it um oh here it is it's got like uncle sam pointing at you like you know i want you right but then then it's like it's sort of like Adam and God in the in the Sistine Chapel painting, but it's like a skeleton hand on a TV and a human hand, right? And there's a lot hand. of symbolism going on here before you even get into the meat of the book itself. So, like, uh, what prompted you to to I guess what? Why are you Why are you in this space of of eclectic people trying to figure out the world? What happened? What disastrous thing happened to you <laughs> to bring you into this? into this mess right
0: what could have done this no yeah I... because
2: normal people are out probably watching football right now right is it football season is I it i think it's I don't supposed know. to be it's it's i don't even know that's how normal i am you know I, the thing is i've never in my life had anything to say to a television it's just not what i do and when i'm in a group of people and they're all screaming at the tv Right, like, hey, go right, go more, ah, and then they get mad at it. I've never been able to do that, but that is how normal people live their lives, and in, and unfortunately, and they're happier and more successful. But so, how did you get here with us, in, in with all of your, uh, because you you have some very interesting ideas. What what got you down this path?
0: It's a great question, and it certainly is. <laughs> it's touched upon in the book because I wanted people to have yeah an idea of my. You know my perspective, because overall, I'm doing my best to, as I say on my show every so often, I want Uncle Finger, <laughs> Uncle Finger, I want Uncle Sam's finger to be placed down at his side and to stop pointing fingers at people, right? And, and blaming people, blaming mm-hmm. sides, choosing sides in general. And I've always thought that that was a big deal when I was young, because I, re- I recall we had this substitute teacher, and I think it was fourth grade, It wasn't any earlier than third grade, but I think it was fourth grade. He drew a big line on the chalkboard, and we had this, you know, typical double chalkboard, pretty long, I'd say 20 feet each. It was a pretty long chalkboard. Drew a humongous line, was as dramatic as possible, you know, trying to talk to us like we were in a civics class in college. And he said, on this side is Democrat, left. On this side is Republican, right. And you've got to choose a side. And that's how he started his day. And it was, you know, this was the social studies portion of our day, because you don't go from class to class in fourth grade if it was fourth grade. And I was right then and there. I was already, my parents were open-minded because they didn't grow up here, technically speaking, right? So I had sure. the advantage sure. of getting a cultural perspective that wasn't necessarily already completely marred by the kind of inculcation that media gives us overall when you sit around watching TV or sports for that matter. And uh, hopefully we can talk about sports because that would be a really good topic to discuss regarding the title of the book.
2: Have your parents since, have your parents since learned to be American psychopaths? Because that is the process of immigration is you come here and learn to be a psychopath. You come here normal and you, then you (laughs) after a few decades, you're like insane and you want to kill people who have children under the ground in tunnels.
0: Yep, yep. No, no, definitely not. And I am an only child as well. And I think that Uh the, all of this combined allowed me to be very free in what I was doing and allowed me to be Mm a, you know, to think for myself. I mean, they let me go on become a musician. So obviously I wasn't that restricted, right? From the normal, like you have to make a million dollars by 20. You go be a doctor now and, and, you know, live a perfect life like everyone else. That wasn't the case they wanted me to save money but they knew right. that this was my passion and that's what I really did i've been teaching you know since i was maybe 15 16 years old i've had lessons and uh-huh. i've been doing that ever since you know since like 1997 i would say i've had students so it's always they knew that the drive was there and the passion was there but on the other side of that on the world war ii side i was completely engrossed and addicted to video games and godzilla movies <laughs> strangely enough yeah 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 but, but the the video game side of things it was placed in my exact generation the computers were there in the classrooms for you know you get keyboard studies once or twice a week oregon trail number, number mm-hmm. munchers and stuff they i was supposed to become a cubicle slave i was i went to college starting at computer science i was going to make video games or as i soon found yeah. out i was going to be making traffic light programs mm-hmm. And you know, train track, right. switching programs, I wasn't going to be making no games in that industry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I realized quickly that I had to go follow a more suitable passion for myself. But from that moment right. with the left, right, you have to choose a side. And my little tiny mind, which wasn't so tiny, I don't think, was saying, that's, that's obviously not true. And there's no chance you can right. convince me otherwise. That's a binary concept. And uh, things are mm-hmm. always binary. They're trying to make us computers. Which is why right. the the robot hand is touching the human hand in. Okay, the
2: yeah, right. that's a great point. The binary, the false binaries. It's like this. Um, I never thought of it that way. It's like uh, trying to impose the technological outlook on the world onto people, or maybe the technological society has outgrown of that as it's vice versa, and that has grown out of that binary worldview. I don't know. No, but that, that's an interesting. Like, say. yeah, you got to have an on-off, one-zero left, right. Right. But reality is that's it. But yeah, the world is not black and white. It's green and gray. That's right. More, more often. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. So, uh, so you went and then you, and then I guess, well, continue on if you like. but I I would want to know like where you have, uh, I always ask guests where they have landed to sort of make peace. And then we work backwards from there. Hmm. So like the world is crazy. Everyone's insane. How have you achieved a sort of? Where are you sitting now? Where you're not, uh, you feel at at peace with all of it.
0: Well, the the quick answer, and I've got a long answer too. Don't worry. The quick answer is that okay. I'm very happily married with two amazing kids, and I yes. actually just just moved to Kentucky after living my first forty years on Long Island in New York. And mm. all of that can very easily lend someone to believe that life is very good when you finally get to leave something like that and, and loosen that baggage, regardless of the unfortunate, you know, distancing from family and things like mm. that. Other than that, I I and I've always been a very lucky person. Maybe it's because I was an only child with two very smart parents who weren't victims of the system. Um, you know, it's the the mind spell that comes with all of those things. It's even though I was engrossed in television very often because of my just my generation was there, um, it didn't it didn't the hand didn't come out of the television and grab my brain like it was supposed to, right. very thankfully, and I, I think that overall my the long answer is that I'm always at first I'm questioned for my high level of optimism like there's no way you're like this all the time there's no chance, right right right. right? And and eventually six months later, I'm like you really are like this all the time. And yeah, yeah. I, I always have this situation where people say, ah, I don't know about that guy. I don't like him too much. He's always mean to me. And and I'm the one that's saying I don't I've never seen one bad thing come from this person. If you are what you'd like to see, often, very often, the other person will be that way as well. Even if you're just smiling. Right. Even if you're yeah, having people a bit, are tuning for smile us. out there yes of course there's a great point to make because you know i i heard your interview with chance because i've been on chance's show several times over the past few years and and he's a great friend of mine and he's a great person and i we before we met just before we met eileen mccusick who invented those tuning forks was on a show crow triple seven which i'm sure you're aware of and
2: oh yeah i love crow i love crow oh yeah i'd like to get on the show show one time but we'll we'll see well, you, do, you know, you never know, message him.
0: I was on yeah. that show. That's how Chance found out about me. I was on Crow about two and a half years ago, talking about the problems with how- Oh, we, really? Yeah, talking about how video games take you over and how they were pushed mm-hmm. from the start as an agenda for decades ago. And then Chance had me on for video games. And now I just recorded an episode with Crow a few days ago about Godzilla, the entire Godzilla series. So that's going to be an interesting yeah, one yeah. for sure. But okay, my excellent. point is that I think me and Chance bought the tuning forks at, on the same- maybe week or month because I bought them when I heard her on Crow talking about the tuning forks. And I think he did too. The difference is he's been pursuing it and I haven't. But yes, I agree with the tuning fork thing. You are literally providing a vibration, whether it comes from your direct center or something around your biofield, who knows? There are frequencies coming from you all the time, regardless of whether 5G is blocking them or not, whatever. That's another conversation. And you immediately yeah. react to people. Think about it this way. For your listeners who may be on the fence about that exact concept, if you walk into a room and somebody just got some very, very bad and very unfortunate news, whether it's you know, a passing of somebody or a relationship that broke, if you walk in the room, it will be very obvious to you if that person is having a very bad time. They're giving off a
2: break. Yeah. And you start to feel bad as well for it's them. Like you, 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 start to, you start to resonate on their same frequency. And the opposite is true. If you are in, around someone very happy, you begin to feel happy too. It's it's this, it's a hard balance because you're always giving off frequencies, but also receiving them. And so the challenge is to, and and as as I'm sure you're aware, the media and the screen is constantly putting out frequencies to try and, mostly bad frequencies, to try and agitate everyone. And so the real challenge is to try and be enough of a frequency generator that you can You can influence things positively and less of a receptor of all the bad the bad frequencies that are out there though that's there it's very difficult because it's we pick up on frequencies whether we want to or not
0: yes that is very true we're very sensitive if you have a guitar sitting around particularly an acoustic one if a certain frequency is sympathetic to one of the strings they will vibrate rapidly and us, you know, yeah. Resonance is an extremely violent reaction. I noticed that you wrote the Tacoma Bridge thing. And yeah, that was a frequency wave. It it can mold and break things that are not, normally not very uh, movable. And the whole shattering glass thing is resonant frequent. If you match it, something terrible can happen. So you have mm-hmm. to be very careful. Because words do this too. Words are are giving that exact idea. If you say the word hate, it's automatically negative, even if you don't know what it means. Right. The, the nature of how you pronounce, the way your mouth moves your skull you know resonating with your mouth, your teeth, this sends it, there's so many factors to it. And actually, as a and I you know, I use the term relatively lightly as a professional musician for a long time, I finally and, and I made a whole you know music series on a episode of, a series of episodes on my show about how this is the problem. This is what they're trying to do. Another part of World War U is the music. Obviously pop music, anyone can tell you that Mm. pop music is not good for you mentally, but the advent of Western classical music, right after the Renaissance, and of course the Renaissance and the Dark Ages too, all that music, suddenly there's way, way more frequencies happening than just the melody, and the melody is the song. Is mm-hmm. you're starting to interrupt that. So the the deception may have started a long time ago, just musically speaking. In putting all these frequencies out there, and yeah, the 440, 432, of course. But we're beyond that. Just the nature of having a ton of frequencies, a chord can make a melody sound different than it actually is. And there's a whole another world. Yeah. With that.
2: Well, if you if you looked into, um, you know, there were there were certain chords in the in the medieval when, the, when that first started happening that were banned. Because they, they, like, you couldn't, like, it was illegal to play them because it was, like, they had this idea that was, like, that was a Satan's chord or something. It was a chord that was so harsh, it would cause negative emotions and ultimately sinful actions in people. And so this, like, this is actually a pretty traditional idea that, like, musical notes and chords can affect a human being and affect their outlook on life, their personality, their behavior. And so when you think about that and then you think about, like, you go to a public place and there's this music blasting like boom boom. boom. Yep. It's like, what are they trying to get people to do with this? Sure, you know, and like how much of all of the dysfunction in America is just down to the music that people are listening to? I bet more than people are would be happy to admit. Yep, it would be shocking about. I, I
0: I would agree, especially when you find out that your kids are listening to it, you know, or yeah. even what they promote on the side. Did you? You never know it, the. The extremes of our, you know, what they say we can and can't hear, as far as the higher and the lower frequencies, you know, our mm-hmm. ears do a good job of masking certain things. If you could hear everything, you would hear your blood pulsing through your ear right now, and you wouldn't hear anything else, right? When you're talking at yeah. a dinner table, when you're focused and speaking to someone directly, your ear is actually masking all the other sounds of the restaurant. You can hear the person you're talking to; otherwise, it'd be a cacophony. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, you would hear nothing but, but noise. So. A lot of things. My point is that a lot of things can be hidden in the lowest frequencies and the highest frequencies. A lot of things can be hidden, and you you wouldn't even be able to if you were listening for it, you wouldn't hear it. They can hide, oh yeah, deceptively. So, and I'm and yeah, it's great that you're aware of all this stuff because it's obviously a bit. This again, this is the world War you that is presented in the book. There are so many facets of this, and you can't blame somebody if they didn't figure it out yet. I was just like them until I heard, you know, what really triggered, I don't even know if I answered the full question before, what really triggered this whole push. It wasn't 9-11. I was already there before that. It was, and 9-11 was almost a gift for people that were, They woke them up, just like COVID. Right. So hopefully that is something to think about. It's not like a good thing, of course, that it happened, because it did happen, no matter what you think about how those buildings completely disintegrated. but Right. They, they went down somehow. They went down, right. People died. They went down, and it's a terrible thing. Um, but good old Bush senior saying that, you know, no longer the law of the jungle, but you know, the law of the land, that, that whole speech. And I saw that live. I yeah. think it was a, uh, it was an address to the nation or something, you know? And I just, it was on 8 PM prime time, interrupted one of my shows. If I remember correctly, i really remember this moment quite dra- dramatically. I was born in 82. So I really wasn't super young by this point. And right. I, he, not only did he look sinister and very villainous, doing it but the now that we're discussing this the way it came out the way the words the tones the voice the frequencies did, sent through the television um it was pretty creepy to me and i thought that something was very wrong with that and i oh yeah i would probably never vote after seeing that
2: yeah that there's a that's that's why um it's the same thing in like traditional poetry like that the meter you use and the yes. cadence you use to speak has a hypnotic Thing, which is why like say the iliad and the odyssey were spoken in a certain in a certain cadence with a certain scheme it's why shakespeare is is powerful like the y- people that are aware of that you can use that sort of speaking to really like um enhance the the whatever you're trying to communicate to the person for good or bad That's i right. think that um i think that i think shakespeare largely used it for good though there are a few questionable ones Mm. uh and um and probably homer as well was is mostly a you know and more of an uplifting cadence but you can certainly do the opposite i've often i've thought paradise lost i can't i'm not 100 on this the paradise paradise lost the rhythm and cadence of that one is a low is one that brings you down
0: it's true even though it's
2: even though it's very compelling and it's a very it's in, in its own way a beautiful Uh, poem and narrating there's something about it that's like you read it and you just start going down a little bit not just because of the content matter but like the it's something about just the rhythm if you used any other words in those same rhythms i think you would also feel that way it's like it's like a minor chord just makes you sound sad it just it's just sad it just feels sad right right it's like music is like is like emotion Audible emotion in some ways in frequency.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's actually, yeah. Like going back that.
2: to what you were saying, the, um, there's all these frequencies you can't hear, quote unquote, but you really, you can. And I did, a, I did a whole thing in, um, college about the, uh, physics of your, your ear. Like I did a lot of like biophysics and there's, um, it's this co- crazy complicated thing, but basically your, your, the bones in your ear. Are essentially doing a biological Fourier transform, what they call a Fourier transform, and it's which is insane. It deconvolves all these frequencies. But the long and the short of it is that you have this ma- this wave of various frequencies come at you, and then it it is deconvolved into separate parts so you can pick them out. Right. And those things pass to your conscious brain. But the other ones hit you, still cause vibrations. They just are not deconvolved into something until. But you're still being affected by them. And they've done tests about this. Like if you play sounds outside of the hearing range, it can increase people's blood pressure. uh, It can increase their anxiety. It can do the opposite and relax them if it's the, and so it's like you're all these, if there's, if there's anything to the 5G conspiracies, I think it's more along those lines. It's like pumping out frequencies that just probably build. And it's probably not a huge effect, but probably just build slight agitation all the time just a slight this tense like your the galvanization of your skin just you know your hairs are standing up a little more um i think i think it's really difficult for people to relax completely in an environment where they're just pounded the frequencies all the time
0: that's right i don't know what arsenic, to do about that you know it's like a little yeah. arsenic a day in your coffee and suddenly you're dead in two yeah years, you know?
2: yeah yeah. And I, that's one thing that, that the new agey people like on Mount Shasta who walk around with a pyramid on their head, I doubt that works. I haven't tried it, but at least they're aware that there's a problem and they're right. trying to come up with solutions. I don't know what to do other than make your house into a Faraday cage. which
0: seems a little extreme. But sure, sure. but it may be maybe one option. You know, it's at least the it start, might be one I op- mean, maybe your bedroom people to think about it. Getting people to think about it yeah. is paramount beginning because... Again, where where you, um, tries to tell people like, I know that some of this may be, I'm I'm not trying to hit people over the head with it, but it is kind of a whirlwind of a lot of information. Like, you know, if you've never heard of any of this, then at least get, take one thing from here and look into it, go work on it. Don't trust me. Go, go look at it. You know?
2: Yeah. I like you could, it might be, it might be surprising how much better your health increased. If just your bedroom had a Faraday cage that blocked out all signals and you could sleep And then if you wanted to use something, you could run a cable inside there if you wanted to sit in your bed on the phone. Right. Right. But then when you when you wanted to go to sleep, you take it out. And I think it would people might be amazed at how much that might do something.
0: I beneficial. Agree.
2: I yeah. I don't, I don't, but that's pretty extreme. I don't know. But okay, so the the video games thing,
1: hmm.
2: you were into the video games and you were gonna go down that route, but then you saw something sinister about it as well as also like the the it's a very highly competitive field and i think you could probably make good video games that are uplifting and i think some people have sure. but on the whole like i don't know if you agree with this most of them are like shoot people gore um death and i don't know that that's overly i think that is a. Uh, you know the the people in the nineties were right. That's a little damaging on your psyche. I don't know that it turns you into a school shooter necessarily, but like watching all that death all the time, not great. You know, I don't. For so sure. what 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 were you feel? How did you go with your evolution on video games? Your personal right. thing. Well, I I watched the advent
0: of the goriness happen. You know, Mario Brothers. You just jump on a Goomba and they they squish, and that's.
2: I still love Mario Brothers. They're still making those. They're great. The Switch like has oh, yeah. the Mario games. They're fun. Yeah, they're, they're way great, more um, fun than the than the shoot 'em ups.
0: They, of course, yeah, because they, they actually don't necessarily hold your hand if you play it the proper way, and they teach you how to play it by by playing. You don't have to mm-hmm. go online to go look up something. You know, aside from let's just you know, even if we get away with all the gore that happened, Doom and Mortal Kombat, and um, a lot of the lost the law people that were trying to get rid of it. There's there's something that happens when you get desensitized at that level. And yeah, you end up, how many, then you could tell yourself, I've, I've killed about 10,000 people, you know, theoretically. Yeah. And, and then suddenly when it's time to fight, you know, a, an army that's 70,000 times your size in Russia or something, it's like, yeah, I can do this. I can definitely do this. And, you know, they get it
2: going. <clears throat> I thought that too. I thought I was, I was like, does anyone else feel that way? But like this like drive to like, I'm going to go to Ukraine and fight mm-hmm. that so many people had. I'm like, are you crazy? But then I thought, i <laughs> thinking about it. They've simulated this a thousand times. And every time they're the hero and they walk in there and they're invincible and they kill all the the goons, but that's not real life. And in real life, they went to Ukraine and just got blown up by a shell from the sky. Sure. You know, and, and yeah, it is, it is sort of this like conditioning thing. And I, and there is some evidence that the U S military has paid for such things to be made and encouraged to, uh, to drive recruitment. I don't know that it's been successful, but they've, they've definitely (laughs) done that.
0: You know, it's it's a it's a weird line to tell because there is enough information to keep people a little bit worried about making that final jump into it. But overall, mm-hmm. um, the the commercials lately, and I don't really watch TV, but I've seen because I have my ear to the ground no matter what. It, a right. lot of the commercials they really do resemble um, what looks like a video game.
2: They resemble video games. They do. They it's like, like a first video person video shooter. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no question. And you know, our our good friend Steven Spielberg, he was right there. Uh, in ninety eight, ninety nine, the Medal of Honor series came out, which was really the first time it was like a war game, and yeah. that was you know right before nine eleven. And he made it from scratch with Lucas Arts, so mm-hmm. they're all players in that game. And then two years after nine eleven, the series went pretty crazy and got even more cinematic. And then they started going to Iraq and stuff in the game, and then people were like I'm ready to go because even when uh, when nine eleven first happened, a lot of people were like, I'm going to war, let's do this, I'm ready to kill for for my country now. And then a few weeks later, they're like, Wait a minute what the hell is going on right now? This is, they found that ID. They found the, the pilot's ID. You
2: know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the, the, the craziness of how often war games will have as like, you're an American soldier and here's the bad guys. And it's the yeah. people we're about to really go to war with. Oh yeah. In a few years is like before all this stuff with the Russians started getting going, the modern warfare series, like they were the bad guys three or four times in a row. Right. Just for no reason, except to prep people to start wanting to shoot Russians and think that Russians were going to come and I don't know invade Milwaukee. Which right. just, it was <laughs> sort of what happens in the game,
0: right? Yeah, they, the, I think that, the coast. I think
2: in the game they may blow a nuclear bomb up in like San Diego or something
0: crazy. I don't I do remember. remember. One of them was like that, and I don't remember yeah. what it was. But it yeah. all goes right it, back to Doom Two: Hell on Earth. You know, Hell on Earth is what they're trying to make it feel like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know. So did you, um, is that primarily what drove you sort of like, Hey, I gotta get, I gotta step back from all this. And you, you decided to fill that void of a hobby with music or did it, did you think, Oh, I'll keep going with it. And then it was just like, well, the industry's really very difficult to break into was a little bit of both.
0: You know, there was a very specific incident, as a matter of fact, because I was already essentially a professional musician gigging constantly uh-huh. and had students, right? And I'm like, right. you know, I'm worried about music as a career based on everything I always hear, because they train you that way, you know? They train yeah. you to go to college. Like, you know you know, you have to go to college. You can't just be a musician, right? right? And now with the internet, people are finding that not to be true whatsoever. But there was a very specific incident. And I started, I graduated in 2000 you know, high school. Mm -hmm. So I started the computer science in 2000. And then come 2002, I was about to finish my associates. And we, you know, I went as far as it went, I was top of my class. And then they said, and they just pulled the rug out from under us, really. They said, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, you, you worked on C++ this whole time as the computer language for anyone that doesn't know and they said you know java's coming in the new computer language java's coming in you essentially have to redo this entire program in java c++ is going to be useless to you yeah, now, yeah yeah and i find out 20 years more or more later that that's absolutely not the case and if i had moved into the video game world i'd be using c++ right now and uh, yeah you, yeah c++
2: you know, so. is a is a it's hard to it's hard to get away from exactly java so really, on the other trying. hand has sort of been destroyed People. I know, I know. <laughs> so people you know, are like oh I, Java, Java. I'm like ah, well, never mind about Java. Yep, exactly. But exactly. I remember when Ruby was a big like Ruby on Rails was a big yeah. thing, and all of them and real and it's like all these languages come and go. But then people are like yeah, but just C, just uh-huh. C plus,
0: just use It's C like it just on- keep it. And you know they teach you assembly. I mean, you know how to use the ASCII yeah. code. You know how to work the bus. You know what you're doing. You know what's happening when you when you put something into C you know, for anyone that doesn't know would you use these, they are programs like we call apps nowadays. You go into yeah. Windows, you go into Linux, you go into MS DOS, you open C and you use it. It's still an input to something else. So you still don't really know right. what's happening if you only know C, right? So we, we learned right, assembly. Right. We learned how the computer actually functions. We learned, you know, how it processes information at the at the lowest binary level. And that so that would have been useful for anything it doesn't matter what language you use you yeah. understand what the language is doing but it didn't you know they they did a good job of filtering out anyone who wasn't willing to you know just stand on the front lines of that war as a matter of fact so yeah i said you know i'm a musician and he's like no your your code is so neat please don't go away and we yeah, were yeah. handing homework and floppy disks you know that's how long ago this was
2: yeah yeah <clears throat> my uh my computer science professor did not give me those compliments <laughs> My mind was not mine was about as scattered as this show was. It worked. but like there was no notation. There was no like commenting. There was no it was just and and I may have turned in a few things that were purely like a million if, if nested if statements sometimes mm-hmm. rather than use functions right um, but so i did I never did get those compliments. But assembly, Uh, I wish I would have known something about that. Wasn't Roller Coaster Tycoon originally written purely in assembly? I wouldn't be surprised because it really, you know, that and
0: also a game that was made around the time called Theme Park and other ones like it. They were, they they really were, they were meant as point and click mouse games, but they were very popular on the consoles too. So I think that the nature of the way they were made, maybe even Civilization... And, and other Yes, things I like think
2: that. civilization also. Yeah, they I it was a, basically surprised. the first ones were a one man job written in right. assembly, which is pretty yeah, impressive. Sid
0: Meier, Sid Meier maybe it was. The yeah, one.
2: Sid, yeah, it was. A, it was a. It was pretty impressive.
0: Uh, yeah. Thing to pull off. It was a very grand. I mean, the the instruction manual was. It's the only game I ever saw adults playing around that time. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because C- it was a, simul- C- a true simulation. It's not like a video game, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the art of simulation, man. You know, and and then I, it,
2: oh, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead.
0: No, I was just quickly going to add that. You know, you mentioned the the frequencies and the talking and the Bible and and stuff, and I was wondering. I, I mean, I'm I'm sorry. What I meant is, I I have a quick little moment in my book where I do mention how, you know, there's you you are supposed to sing some of that stuff, the Torah, the Bible.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sung, right? And the Psalms, especially, are meant to be sung.
0: Yeah, there would be a crier out there, you know, singing, and there wouldn't be any vowels in the written. Like, if you learn how to read something like the Torah, you read it without the dots, without the vowels. And, you know, that doesn't work for us, but we need our vowels. Our vowels are where the notes and the frequencies come from. Like, the letter t, T is not necessarily a frequency. It's like a sound, it's a thing, but it's not. You know, and I, I forgot. I wanted to throw that in there before because I thought that was really interesting. Oh
2: yeah. and, and one of the advantages of those old styles, because Hebrew isn't the only language which gets rid of the vowels in its writing.
0: Right. Sure, sure, of course not.
2: One of the one of the advantages of that I've speculated is that you could therefore ad lib the vowels in right. song right. to match your current mood, so you sure. could sing the same words uh, mel- melancholily or joyfully. Uh, and you could sort of add in like, you know, the, a different vowel sound speaking the same word, Right. which in an oral tradition culture, like, uh, the, when Torah was originally written or the Druids in Ireland or something, that's probably pretty useful sure. to Absolutely. be able to as both a memory aid and is also like a, it gives it an adaptability to whatever situation you're currently, uh, reciting it in. Sure, sure. And if you're trying to
0: govern a bunch of people, you could actually pass it off as your own because it's different in a certain way, too. Like, no, this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you,
2: like, everything's a little, you get a little, your own little spin on it.
0: Sure. And and there's the World War II aspect again, you know, coming back to the book is that you're, a, a lot of people don't even know that, that there's vowel less, it's called abjad to some people, there's vowel less language. And the same thing that that kind of flip. On someone's mind can be very powerful to start looking into more important information because they're busy looking at sports. People are worried about gaining a whole new level of information. Meanwhile, they can know stats from every single baseball player for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, and their their college run all together. They can know all those numbers, but they're worried about learning a few things to potentially keep them away from some negative information. It's it's crazy to me that people don't realize that. And even uh the major minor thing is an inversion that quite happens that ha- happens quite often. Like Havana is a uh, minor song. You know, minor yeah. used to be happy and and major used to be serious, you know. They've even flipped that on us. There's a lot of in my yeah. opinion, you know, and and I think Shakespeare actually had a lot to do with that too. I'm very yeah, he you know, did, there's, a little, there's a little there's there's
2: some there's some uh there's some trickery in the Shakespeare oh, for sure. If it was, even, I don't, you know, somebody named Shakespeare, who knows? If it was even him, like, yeah, I, th- I haven't been able to penetrate the Shakespeare, because there's, like, there's undoubtedly some, like, beautiful stuff in there, like, r- sure, but then they're, course. like, th- but then it's, like, there's a little bit of, like, a inversion happening here, and then, like, the, the Shakespeare's a complicated thing. I've thought about doing a show on that one, but I haven't been able to come at it to come up with a proper angle to really explain what's happening there, because I don't really know what's mm. happening, but something... Something upsetting and also profound is that, like, so much of the English language gets its like modern English gets its start in Shakespeare, right? Because, like, if you look prior to that, and like, not very. It's sort of it's sort of weird, and how quickly the transition is from Old English to Modern English, quote unquote. I agree like canterbury it's so tales so strange is, like you yeah. listen to old english it sounds nothing it's like crazy you can pick out maybe one or two words like this is the same language, and then and then the transition happens so quickly to modern english and it gets solidified with the printing press mostly printing the king james sure. bible and shakespeare
0: right, and that's it. And right like, around the same time francis th- bacon the time. Was there too and yeah. you know like the canterbury tales is you know one that a play with the shortest suit it's like, that's yes. old English.
2: Like, yeah, it sounds it's great. It sounds It's like, not like even remotely
0: AMI. similar. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't even know why I had that memorized. But the, um, or maybe I do, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think that I, I didn't necessarily push. I didn't want uh, the, the readers of this book to get discouraged into thinking this was a history lesson. Uh, but because yeah. I really think that you touched on it, man. That's it. I did an entire episode on this. Francis Bacon, yeah. Shakespeare, King James, you know, Guy Fawkes trying to kill King James because he was not a good person in my opinion. Um, he wrote the right. book Demonology right around that time. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a Plato's era type of, you know, like dialogue about how witches are bad. And I think they were trying to talk about um, midwives and stuff. And I don't like that whatsoever. I mean, my wife is yeah. a, this is a, a t- t- training to be a midwife right now. And I really don't yeah. like what he was doing. I think that that is, that's, not only that, you know, forget about the witches and midwives thing. The the switch of the language is a clear indicator. It almost happened overnight. That doesn't happen at all anywhere. How does that it's,
2: happen? It's very crazy how quickly English, like you look at old French, it's still vaguely French. Like, yes, right. it's changed a Good lot. Point. Good point. Yep. It's changed a lot. Yep. But it's still like, oh, if you were transported back in time and you're a modern French speaker, to like the year 700 you could probably muddle along but if you were transported back in time now to england in the, the year 700 they would be speaking something you have you just be like like what is it um i forget uh i used to know some of, like where are you from they like, where are you from uh it's juan hehlooth or something it's like totally different it's this right. totally different thing right and it it's and Shakespeare comes in and none of that is there. Sure. None of the old stuff 100%. is there. And the, and I know you can sort of chart the transition, but it's so fast.
0: It's it's too fast. And we don't even know, they don't even have his uh, birthday and have a lot of other birthdates of the yeah. people around that time. So that's suspicious. And I think yeah. another thing worth mentioning um, in this scenario is the the ideas of Latin and how so many people wrote in Latin maybe to keep it out of people's reach. But then it bleeds its way into other language into other languages like mozart wrote in many languages just because he could right because he was one of those guys right maybe call him freeze mason whatever you want but i actually performed it, the mozart requiem in the chorus so i got to sing the words and he wrote it in latin but he wrote it in a germanic latin so mm-hmm. even and even in, and my point is that it wasn't that different still even though they combined the languages Requ- uh, requiem became Requiem right. it's the same right thing. It wasn't that far off. Like with old English, there's almost, I can't even catch it. I can catch every, like you said, every 20 words. It, it's completely different language.
2: Yeah. And, and they'll say like, oh, well, you know, the the French came in with the Normans. And right. then there was the Latin from the church and it all melded together. It's like, yeah.
0: I don't know about that.
2: But still, <laughs> it's still so, it's such a huge difference. It's like, it's, and I think that's, I think that is, I think Tolkien is sort of playing with because Tolkien knew all the languages mm. backwards and sure, forwards. Sure. And definitely. when you when you read some of his stuff, I think he's he's like he gets a bit like quizzical on that sometimes. Like what right. went on? This is a bit crazy. This like shift to like what we call English now from what it was. Right. Right. It almost seems like English arises out of the ether.
1: Yeah. Modern
2: English, just like poof. Sure. Like these words, where did they come from? It, it's like and... And it is such a like a spell crafty language, you know, like the days of the week, or the days the d a z e of the Mm. week, w e a k. Like there's so many homonyms and 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 things that sound the same. You can't, but your subconscious may hear them, you know, even if you, or like a good good morning, but also morning is morning, but also morning is sad. Be sad. It's not. You know, it's like, and there's countless examples of that. And so you're hearing it, and like it's this such a spellcrafty language. It really it's, is. It it is. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I, I. I that's one of those things where I hit my limits of not being a a, a linguist,
0: where well, I can't really a, go into it further. There's a lot to know. You have to go <laughs> as far as you possibly can yeah. with the earliest languages, yeah. and you got to look at all the writing. I think Alvin Boyd Kuhn did a good job in um, the esoteric, al- uh, the esoteric structure of the alphabet. It's a very mm-hmm. good book regarding those ideas. But yeah, it's very hard to pinpoint and you have to trust the historical record you're getting on top of everything else. And that makes right. it very difficult, very right. difficult, but a lot of the, know, it, have the same letters, you know?
2: Yeah. It comes, well, you know, the, we have the, the Phoenician alphabet, right? So-called. Right. And that is, uh, that really goes back to, to not to get too crazy, but that really does go back to what you might call Atlantis sure, or the, the, the sea peoples of the past who, right. who ero- arise in history out of nowhere and conquer everything and then disappear. And it's because if they had this like basically worldwide sea empire, what you would do is, is having a phonetic language. Like you just teach people, here's the sounds of these 26 characters. And now right. you can read whatever we send you even, and we can write it in your language, right? You just write down the sounds. You just, we don't have to have a different word. Like if you're, I don't know, if you're if you're speaking Canton, if you're speaking German, and it's the gut, Morgen, you right. just write down the letters that make those sounds, sure. and then we can use the same alphabet for everybody, and that's how we'll communicate. And it's, it's sort of this, um, and so that still comes to us from this like crazy past. And like, why did all the other like the runic alphabets go away? The the they really the the only place that still survives is China, where their characters are basically runes. Yeah, where you it put them together like a, pur- like a bunch yeah, they're of very them. similar. Yeah, right. <clears throat> the only place that really survives, and so you've got, and then there's this. We touched on it earlier, but there's this idea that, like, you know, there's like sounds have sadness and like the resonance of your skull. When you're, it goes back to this idea of like a twilight language or the language of angels, where like this, the it, ideally the word you would speak to describe a thing ma- has itself. The same frequency of that thing, yes, and so it would match like, like whatever word you would use for bird would have the same, uh, uh vibra- vibratory frequencies of your sound waves as right. maybe on a different, maybe on maybe a harmonic of them, sure, but uh, as the bird itself is putting off, and so in that way, you would be able to speak. Things into existence, which is what this whole like logos thing is. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He has the in his uh, in his space trilogy. They learn right. old solar. I don't know if you've read it. No, they learn, I'm
0: very familiar with it.
2: Yeah, they learn old solar, which is the language that was given to the solar system at the beginning right. of time. And in it, you that is what happens. Like they speak. That's how like Adam can name the animals and so forth and so on. And I sometimes sort of feel like modern English is like the upside down of that, hmm. where it's like you say the opposite, the resonant frequencies are the opposite of the thing you're trying to say. Not in all cases, but in enough where you're like, hmm, this feels a little bit, a little bit
1: no, uh,
0: good, quizzical good point, here. Man. good point. And that's the level of inversion that the language is. I mean, they remove gender to begin with.
2: And yes, then... exactly. Perfect point. English is the start of transgenderism. Yes. It really is because they removed all the. And yes, that does make it easier to learn. If you try to learn German, it's like is the moon male or female? Yeah, I don't right, remember. Right, right. And then everyone looks at you like, "Oh, dummy! He called the moon a boy or whatever." <laughs>
0: right.
2: That yes, does, yes. that is it does make it easier to learn if everything is just the. But yeah. uh, you're taking away the the, the seeing the anthropomorphisms of the universe, seeing like reflections of humanity. Out in the world personhood in the world and you're flattening everything out into just gender neutrality and english is the perfect starting place for transgenderism because we've already removed those pronouns like the pronouns right. already got, we've even removed like second person third person plural basically just you yeah like the and right. thine and thou used to be like single single you plural you and they were like different and like just you just we're all, we've been shaving down pronouns for centuries.
0: You're right about that. Absolutely. You know, I think it's a really good point. Yep.
2: And so like it, I don't know, I, as much as I like to, to dunk on Europeans <laughs> for having their silly little bread languages, right? I, I admit that modern English may be a bit of a problem, it you is, know, and, and I wish I spoke something usable. else.
0: I don't. No, it's so weird. It's also very usable and it's (laughs) vast, you know, it has its its good qualities like everything else, but it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And knowing that it, you know, it was made to be the language of diplomacy, even though I'm not sure how many countries really wanted that, but everyone seems to be on board in this game. So that's
2: just just part of the, part of the deal. It's an extremely useful language at the cost of stripping out. It's like, it's like everything else America has done. In America, I know, didn't invent modern English, but sure. yeah, we did sort of. Um it has stripped out everything down to its strictly utilitarian purpose. Right. And
0: utility, exactly.
2: Yeah, and so and that does have its advantages for for business, commerce, making things efficient. Um but you lose poetry, you lose the ability to see the spiritual side of things because it's removed from your speech you no longer talk about it and if you don't have the ability to talk about it you don't have the ability to envision it for a lot of people that's right Your language defines what you're able to think for a lot of people
0: i think that's very accurate my friend i really do and i i in the cover of the book the two hands the robot and the human hand are touching but they're almost touching they touch a cell phone and I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that now in the world where you aspect of that thing that you just said is that people can't even spell anymore. The phone just does it. Why should they even bother? Yeah,
2: the phone just does it for you.
0: Do they talk into it or they just, they type blindly. They don't even have to look and it fixes it for them pretty accurately. So now, you know, the keyboard's dead. Everything's just gone and they don't even yeah. have to know how to spell. Why should I even bother knowing my friend's phone number or how to spell this yeah. word or even how to structure this sentence? These days are over. So they've done a good job of making And now people, you know?
2: even beyond that, you're like, go to chat GTP, write this for me. <laughs> and it's <laughs> right, it's right. it's so awful. Like it's not good writing. But people don't know any better. And so they don't know, they don't know good writing for bad writing most of the time. Like yeah. it's just so that's like, hey, write point. this, write this email for me. And they ask Chat GP to do it. And they're like, oh yeah, that's what I'll send. And and so it's an issue. Yeah, it's like this. <laughs> it's like this being subsumed into the machine, right? And it's almost as though English language was designed to make that because English really took like, yes, it had world dominance for a while before that, but when it became the language of the internet,
0: mm-hmm. it was over. Sure,
2: like when all the stuff was coded in English, when all the way was like all the other languages it's it was just over for like all the other languages. Asia can still hold out a little bit if they right. continue to try, but if you give them a few more decades, they're going to all start speaking English too.
0: Right. You know, and that's computer wise. Yeah.
2: <laughs> computer wise. Then that filters down into uh media wise. And that filters into just the regular, I was talking with someone in, in Sweden. They said that, you know, like they were at the, the middle school the other day in Sweden and they were like, all the middle school kids were just speaking English. Might and well. the same yeah. is happening in Mexico. The same is happening. I mean, like, all the English is just killing everything as far as all of the languages. Wow. And you know, maybe that's good. Maybe we don't need them all. I don't think it's good, but some people would argue it is, but it is amazing how it is suited to the machine and like being just drawn in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. And if, you know, any of your viewers are thinking to themselves, like maybe that is a good thing. If, if, everyone spoke the same language then everyone would write Elvis's jailhouse rock when they go to sit down and play a song. And that's not a good thing. We like the variety. Right. We want, we right. want the world to have its own thing. And we, you know, yeah. you got to, you live in your own culture. You have your own thing. You maybe don't even know too many other ones. That's your thing. Great. You know, it's not the world yeah. It's not bad.
2: Yeah. Strangely, although I have been criticized as a, as a crazy right-wing person, I'm actually pro, like, I don't want the world. I'm against globalism. Not, because I don't want everyone to be the same and turn into a robot in the Borg. Right. I like that. There are people writing books in languages. I can't understand, and I'm sure they're great and I'll never read them. Cause I don't read Catalan or whatever. Right. That's okay. I trust that if they're, that they're good and if they're really good, maybe they'll translate it one day. But, uh, that, I think having all of those, different ways of thinking and cultures is, is valuable. And I think what we are heading towards rapidly is a Borg-like situation where we have so okay, so if that's true in the book, how do you propose is a solution? How do people resist this? How do they not get drawn in to to becoming the Borg? I
0: think the main goal of the book <clears throat> because it's fairly short, you know, relatively speaking. Right. It's 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 a fairly quick read. Um, and that was part of the point also. If this book is brand, if all of the, let's just say every single word in this entire book is a complete shock and brand new to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. If it was over 100 pages, it would have been way too much. You know, that's, right. oh my God, stop, please. I'm, I can't believe all this, it can't be true. I, I take a subjective approach either way and I don't try to tell anyone like, everything is just like this and you should be terrified for your life. You know, the goal mm-hmm. near the end is that everything is actually pretty great. And right. I my solution, as this, cause this won't be my last book, but it is my first. The solution is that you keep your ear to the ground and your eyes on the horizon and that you pay attention and don't lose sight of the fact that you're constantly being barraged with symbols and imagery and frequencies and manipulation. You don't, don't be manipulatable. And mm-hmm. everything you do may have actually, you may have been tricked into it. Even if it's, I put the radio on every time I get in the car. Or I wake up and I have a coffee. You know, whatever simple little right. things you can think of, ritual-wise, you've been tricked into a lot of rituals, and it's very hard to see past them. I hope to break some boundary with this book by putting so many things in it that somebody's gonna be like, you know, I never thought about that. Uh, maybe I gotta, maybe I gotta look further into this and and see exactly what he's talking about because yeah, I've heard about it. Maybe I've even thought about it, but I never heard it in this way. So I'm hoping that the the book is not necessarily. I don't provide direct solutions because it's too compli- It's too complicated. There, right. Most people need different solutions for things too. Not everyone's good at multiple choice. Not everyone's good at essay tests. Right. So I'm hoping that the book is a piece of a solution that we're not burning bridges anymore. You know, COVID did a good job of you make, getting people to call the cops on their neighbors or even their own right. house. So I'm saying that that is absolutely what they want. It's part of the programming. It's part of the World War U. We have to just make sure that. You sense when it's they and not, you know, your neighbor, love thy neighbor, right? I, th- I think the solution is love thy neighbor, actually, because as soon as that uh-huh. happens, the, if the, if you don't pay attention to the advertisement, it does not work. As soon as you realize that sports are just a guy catching a ball, and that could be fun and all, whatever, but when there's a bunch of people sitting in the, you know, in the room watching the Super Bowl, if you try to get anyone's attention, it ain't happening. You know, they're glued. Right and they're they're under the spell. It is broadcasting its spell casting. in a negative sense of the word. There are good spells. There are spells to send someone on a good journey, a safe journey. There's there's good ways to do this too, you know. But I think yeah. It, it sounds I don't know how it sounds. I don't know how it's coming off, but I really believe that this style of book, this type of book where it's colloquial, I'm just talking to you about things, giving you a general sense of how much is coming to attack you at once in just one day. That that is piece of a, that's the piece of solution right there that you're aware of it now. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It's like, uh, you know, you were saying you get tricked into so many rituals and routines. Uh, Terrence McKenna used to say that culture is like an operating system to tie it back to the machine Mm. there. And there's lots of like to run society and you're, and there are lots of different operating systems possible that a computer could run on, but we have just, it's like, well, now we got windows or Mac. That's it. Right, like, and there's there's so there's like crazy experimental ones. Some are very much more efficient, helpful, but you get locked in, and you can't imagine another way of doing computing, just like you can't imagine another way of doing life. You know, after a while, but there are other ways if you can, if you can unprogram yourself from, um, the and I have some sympathy with the hippie movements because they were trying to do that. Yes, they were. Uh, I think they were. uh, They got a little co opted. I think. And a little MK Ultra and a little, uh, a little little (laughs) Manton, a little, a a lot of stuff, you know, but good effort. It was a good effort. Uh, Maybe we need Hippie 2.0. Maybe we need Hippie 2.0 to try and, to try and just, just like you said, not, not necessarily change anything, but just at first recognize it for what it is. Sure. And just see it like, see the matrix first before you try to like fly. Yeah. That
0: seems to be a big (laughs) part of uh, the people doing it all wrong where they're just jumping in now and then they have enough money to start a show (laughs) and they just do it and they've never even begun yet. And now a bunch of people are listening to them, you know, that's not good either, but it's not their fault. Again, they're tricked into all this. So got to be careful. And just hopefully if you feel like someone is doing the right thing, but they're doing it wrong all you can keep doing is doing your thing the right way and hope that, you know, it, it catches on because yeah. once the dust settles, only, you know, the honest people will be left. You got to be on the right side yeah. of history. It's, it's going to prove itself eventually.
2: Right. I agree. Well, thank you, sir, for, uh, for coming on. This is a really good, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Third eye edify podcast. Yes. And world war, you, uh, everyone right. check them out. Um, uh, do you have any other big plans for the, the day?
0: Um, you know, I I'm going to be starting to do some news articles on the website ThirdEyeEdify.com, okay. and I I plan on, you know, I'm I'm going to expand in some way. I'm definitely going to have yeah. some more books coming soon too, and that's it. You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing: interviews and um, solo shows and uh, add yeah. the news in there. And I think I really help me broaden what I'm delivering to people. Yeah. Do you write on a Substack at all? No, as a matter of fact, I've been recommended several times, so I'm gonna look into it. Uh, yeah, I think you should. I'll, right I'll,
2: away. uh, I'll. If you do, I'll put you as one of the people that my Substack links other people to. That's very good. So nice. I'll shoot them okay. over there. Hopefully, hopefully. But I, I, I recommend. That's a one of the few good writing platforms online today, where people can actually uh, have the ability to read. Right. If I you write it, on like Medium like, or something, right? People on Medium are illiterate. They think they're literate, <laughs> but they're illiterate. But Substack, for now, people still can parse language and and read text. Very um, so I recommend it. You know?
0: <laughs> interested because I heard you can kind of like show a chapter and get people interested in stuff. And oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool.
2: Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good platform. Well, thank you again, sir. I hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Absolutely, thank you very much.
2: All right, we have a good day. day.
0: Thanks.